Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Good morning, Chapel family. Last week we began a short series, uh, Bright Lights in Dark Times, uh, carry us through, actually through June. But as we are looking into the book of Second Chronicles, times which were dark in the southern kingdom of Judah, a time of spiritual darkness, a time of difficulty and challenge, and we're looking and focusing particularly on two kings who were bright lights in those days, Hezekiah and Josiah. Each came to the throne in very dark times and stood as men who stood for God and brought revival and times of spiritual awakening into their day. Our aim through this series is to help us to live very similarly as bright lights in our own present age, which many of us would describe as a time of darkness, certainly a time where things are just messed up in so many ways, are they not? But as we come to this Mother's Day, I wanted to diverge a little bit from that and talk about mothers, and yet I didn't really want to get too far away from this study either, so I decided to keep us here in Second Chronicles, but we're not going to be looking really at Hezekiah or Josiah. But I was looking in the book to see, can I find any lessons, any truths here about mothers? And I found a few, and that's where we're going to focus this morning. As we look at kings and their mothers we're going to begin here in Second Chronicles, turn to chapter 29, and since our series is about Hezekiah, we'll just begin with him. Chapter 29, verse 1 of Second Chronicles. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. It was a few years ago as I was going through a study here in 2 Chronicles and I noticed something about almost every king of Judah that was mentioned. Something caught my eye tucked away in the either in the introduction to the reign of each king or in the summary at the end of their life, there was one little tidbit of information about each one of them. And that was that the scriptures here recorded their mother's names. Almost every one of the kings of Judah, even as we read here, uh, with Hezekiah, his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And I wondered, as I noted that, I wondered, now why is that information given? The Holy Spirit is not in the business of wasting ink on the pages of Scripture. 
What is there is there for a reason. Occasionally we may wonder and struggle with trying to figure out that reason. Most of the time it's pretty obvious. This time I was going, why is it there? In the kingdom of Judah, the right to reign was was passed through the line of David. The right to the throne belonged to the descendants of David. And so the right to succession is those who are in his lineage. And that lineage passed through the father. And so the name of the mother is not needed here to authenticate the right to rule. And so the mother's name is not included so that we can know that they have the right to rule. So I tried, well, okay, it's not that. What else could it be? And I thought, well, maybe it's included here just to give us a little more background. You know, just like if for many of us, if we understand something about who the mother is, we'll understand a lot more background about the person. So maybe that's it. It's it's giving us a little more perspective on the king, painting a little broader family picture and background. So we'll tell the name of the mother. And it does help with one or two of the kings. But with most of them, as in the case here of Hezekiah's mom, Abijah, we, we have the name, her name, it's Abijah. We have her father's name, it's Zechariah. But we know nothing else about this Zechariah. We know really nothing else about Abijah. We know their names, but that's really it. So having their names doesn't give us any more clue about the king's background, about the family, about uh, character, nothing there. So I continue to scratch my head and ask, why is this here? Why is this included in the scripture? And I admit that what I'm about to say is pure speculation on my part, so it's worth exactly that. But the only other reason I could come up with is that it's mentioned here to give honor to these women as the mother of the king. Her name is mentioned for the purpose of honoring her. Now that may be further supported by there are a few instances as we go through the scriptures where the the mother of a king of Judah or a king of Israel is, that mother is mentioned as having a title, a position of queen mother. For example, the prophet Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah chapter 13, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Say to the king and queen mother, there's that title. Say to the queen mother, take a lowly seat for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. In other words, you're about to lose your position here. But there's an instance where the mother of the king is called the queen mother. And apparently she has a title. She has a crown to lose. In a couple of minutes, we'll see that show up in another place in my next point. But in this case... There's at least a few instances, actually very few. I can only come up with, I think, four. There may be as many as a half dozen in Scripture where the mothers of the king of Judah or Israel is called the queen mother. But So those may be just some anomalies, some just unusual exceptions, or maybe they indicate that it was the typical practice all throughout the time of the kings, the kingdom, that the mother of the king was called the queen mother and held a position of honor. Regardless, I think that's why the mothers are mentioned. Mothers are mentioned here because we are 
to honor our mothers. That's something we all say. We already know. Yeah, Pastor, Pastor, I'm not planning to give here this morning a lot of new stuff that you've never heard before. Just remind us of something that we all know we're supposed to do but often neglect. We are to honor our mothers. Three important reasons scripturally why we should do that. Why should we honor our mothers? Well, of course, it's a command. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We are to honor our father and our mother. It's repeated in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. It's also in Colossians 3. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. God has commanded it because it is something that pleases Him when we honor them and it displeases Him when we do not. But not only is it a command for us to honor our mothers, it is also wisdom It is a wise thing for us to do to honor our mothers. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 20. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. If you are wise, you are a joy to your dad, you are a joy to your parents. But if you despise your mother, if you think lightly of her, if you think little of her, if you do not honor her, it says you are a fool. It is a foolish son who does that. We wonder why is it foolish not to honor our mother? Well, simply put this, is something most of us know. Instinctively, we know this. Mothers typically... 99% of mothers love their children and sincerely desire the very, very best for them, right? Which is why, mothers, you will lay down your lives for your children. Mothers want the best for their children. And it is a foolish person who looks at a person who loves them with their whole being, who will give their life for them, who desires the very best for them, who will will do everything they can to provide what is needed, what is good, and hope for them and cheer for them, and who will look at that and say, and walk away. There's a foolish person who does that. There are warnings and consequences in Scripture for the person who does not honor their father, their mother. Here's one example. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 16. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or mother. Hmm. There's a curse upon you if you dishonor your mom. There's another one. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. This next one, by the way, moms, just a little helpful hint. I think this one is worthy of printing off and posting on the refrigerator door, just in my view. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. (laughs) Every time your kids start to give you a little lip, just kind of point the refrigerator and you don't have to say a thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> this isn't in the scripture just to, you know, your parents are going to pluck your eyes out or whatever. That's not the point. It's, it's a warning, not because, hopefully, not because parents are violent. It's because it's saying that the person, the child who despises their parents is setting off on a dangerous path on a path that ultimately is destructive, self-destructive. The child who looks at their parents and does not listen to them, does not heed them, does not value their, their wisdom and their advice and their love and their care is a child who is setting themselves on a course that is dangerous. So there are warnings that we should not dishonor our folks, but rather follow the scriptural commandment to honor our parents. It is wise to do, but there's one more thing, one more reason why we should honor our parents, and that is Ephesians chapter 6, again where it quotes from the Ten Commandments, but it says there in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, there's the quote from Exodus 20, which is the first commandment, with a promise. The commandment has a promise attached to it, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honoring your mother, honoring your parents is beneficial to us because Long before homeschooling was a term, God intended for the home to be a schoolroom. Not just to learn reading and writing and those things, but more importantly, to learn invaluable and essential life lessons. Lessons that, if we don't learn at home, prove to be destructive, and if we do learn them at home, they serve us well in life. Lessons like self-discipline. All those times mom tells you to clean your room, as in the video. Every time that that our mom tells us to, you know, make your bed and do this and do that, mom is trying to build in us not, you know, just obedience to her. She's trying to build in us self-discipline where we build habits that are productive and habits that serve us well. Self-discipline. Our parents are trying to teach us the lesson of submission learning how to submit ourselves to others, which is the opposite of pride, the opposite of pushing for our own way, but rather to give to others, learning how to bend, how essential that is for relationships and especially for marriage later. And God intends we learn that at home through the tutelage of our mothers and our fathers. The lesson of respect for authority. If we don't learn that lesson at home with moms and dads, we learn it through the law. That is a needed lesson in our society today, respect for authority. The lesson of how to love, how to set aside my desires, how to set aside my will, how to set aside myself for the benefit of others. We are to learn that through the tutelage of our parents. That's why God placed us in home with with parents that we don't always agree with, but they are at work trying to produce good in us. And so the scripture calls for us to honor our fathers, and as we are focused specifically today, to honor our mothers. 
Part of the reason that we are to honor our mothers is because our mothers have a huge influence. Their influence upon us is large and lasting. Many of you know the name William Wallace. Uh, That was the guy in Braveheart, but that's not the William Wallace I want to talk about. That was the 13th century in Scotland. There was another William Wallace who was in the United States in the 19th century, the late 1800s, who was a poet. And he wrote a poem. Actually, he wrote a lot, but uh, there's only one poem that I actually am familiar with at all. And if you're like me, you've never read the poem. Well, actually, I have now, but up until a little bit ago, I had never read the poem. But that poem has one line that almost all of us know well. And that line is this. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Have you heard that line before? Yeah, but you've never heard the poem, right? Or William Wallace. There you go. Now you know. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The reason that we all have heard that line is because it resonates. It resonates in us what we know instinctively that the impact that a mother has on a child is huge. And it is lasting. So much so that in the case of the poem, when the king gets to the throne, that his rule is actually reflective of the indelible imprint that his mother has made upon him. That she is the one who really rules the world because she has shaped the king. And so it is, moms, you have such a significant impact in shaping your children. We see that illustrated here in the scriptures this morning, here in Second Chronicles. If you're still there, just flip back a couple of chapters to chapter 22. Chapter 22, we are introduced to a king who comes to the throne. King Ahaziah says here, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. Scripture says that a new king comes to the throne, a young king, 22 years old, Ahaziah. As he comes to the throne, it says that he rules wickedly. He follows in the footsteps of King Ahab. Now, this king, Azariah, he he is coming to the throne of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. Up there, there's a guy on the throne named King Ahab. King Ahab was a wicked king, and that's saying a lot, and he says he was the most, he was one of the most wicked kings in the northern kingdom of Israel, which is saying a lot because he never had a good king. He was among the very, very worst, if not the worst. And it says, though, that this young king, 22 years old, coming to the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah, is acting like that guy, walking in his way, and we wonder, how does that happen? How does this guy down here, in Judah, start acting like this guy. Well, it's because this guy's grandfather had this bright idea of making an agreement with King Ahab up here. They made a treaty, and he married his son to 
King Ahab's daughter. King Ahab's daughter is Athaliah, the mother of King Azariah, this young 22-year-old who comes to the throne. And what we discover is that Azariah is rules wickedly, and you notice what it said there at the end of verse 3. It says, He walked of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. In other words, Mama raised her son not to follow after his ancestor King David and the godliness of King, the line of David, but she raised her son to follow after her daddy, King Ahab, and he learned the lessons well. And she was his counselor in how to be a wicked king. Here, son, here's what you do. Wow. You see, I mentioned that, Mom, your impact on kids is huge. I didn't say that it's always positive. <laughs> it's positive if you design to be positive. You can also design to create an evil son. And that's what Athaliah set out to do. And she succeeded. Now, he only ruled for how long? Yeah, one year. Now, by the way, just how wicked was Athaliah? Well, she was wicked enough that in my view, if we were running a contest for the most wicked mothers ever, worst moms ever, she would be in the running. She may not win the contest, but she's going to be in the running. Not only does she teach her son how to do wrong, not only does she intentionally aim for him to be wicked, but notice... Well, we won't go down, but as we go down, what happens is her son dies after a year as being king. We don't know how he dies, but he dies. And you know what she does? She immediately sets out to make sure that every other successor to the throne is killed. Anybody else who can take the place of her son is killed. She has them put to death and recognize that In doing so, she is putting to death her own grandsons. Now, now do you think she's pretty wicked? I mean, I don't know how it gets much worse than that, putting to death your own grandkids. Most of us as parents can imagine sooner or later killing our kid, but never our grandchildren. (laughs) Wow. Certainly got honorable mention on the worst moms ever list. Why did she do that? Because she sets herself up to be queen. Now by the hand of God, she actually misses one of the successors to the throne. She just doesn't know it. And that's part of the story. She is being moved, of course, by Satan, who's trying to wipe out the the line of David. But God is at hand. God is at work. And he prevents that from happening. But that's all a whole other story and not my point this morning. My point this morning is simply this. Moms, you make an impact. And a big impact. And I know sometimes, moms, it gets discouraging, doesn't it? Sometimes, as you try to work with your kids and instill in them honor, instill in them godliness, instill in them character, sometimes it gets difficult, doesn't it? Sometimes you think they're not listening. Sometimes you think they don't care. But moms take heart. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. 
Your children hear, it listens, and it makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't show up for a long time. I mentioned in the first service because I looked out, I saw a friend of mine out in, in, in the pews who walked into my office uh, about a dozen years ago, said, I have lived a horrible life. I have been a vile, evil man. I have lived badly. My mom was a woman who loved Jesus, and she prayed for me every day of her life that I would come to Christ. And here I am. At that time, he was in his 70s. And uh, he said, I know if I died today, I'd go to hell. He said, I'm here to find out what do I need to do to get right with God. That day in my office, he trusted Jesus as his Savior. Been a part of this church ever since, growing and loving Jesus. And can I say, you know, that was in many, many ways because of the faithful testimony and the faithful prayers of a godly mom. Moms, you make a difference. I know it gets hard. Never quit. Never give up. It makes a difference. A mother's influence is huge. And who knows, by the way, but what some of the children you are grooming may ultimately become king or president or governor or mayor or a missionary or a pastor. They will certainly know the truth as you teach it and live it. The third truth about mothers that I find in in this passage, find a few chapters back in chapter 15. While we are commanded to honor our mothers in Scripture, we also honor God above our mothers. And I realize that in these days it is important to say this because we live in a time where mothers are not always what they ought to be. And there are mothers in our world, mothers even in our neighborhoods, maybe sometimes even in our own families, mothers who are ungodly, And may perhaps put a child in the predicament of having to make a choice. Do I honor God or do I honor my mom? Do I listen to my mom or do I listen to God? And while that may happen in our day, it's actually not new. Actually, we just saw one example with Queen Athaliah Athaliah and her son Ahaziah. Ahaziah should have listened to God instead of his mom. We find another example of that right here in chapter 15 of Second Chronicles. King Asa, again, came to the throne as a, and things were a mess in his nation at the time he became king. There was a significant amount of idolatry going on and a lot of the perversion that goes with that. The hearts of the people were not toward God. And Asa became king, and one day he ran into a preacher. He heard a preacher give a message. This preacher, this prophet, 
As he spoke, Asa listened and he was moved. As he heard the word of God, it pierced his heart and he, he was moved to make some changes and he was moved to follow God. And the word of God was take courage then and do what you need to do. And so he took courage and he began to follow the Lord and he started getting rid of all the idols and all the idolatry out of Judah. And he tried to turn the hearts of the people to follow God. But there was a problem. And the problem was a lady named Ma'aka. His mother, it says here in the text, although in some other places it appears to be his grandmother. That's a theological debate, which it is. And in the Bible, the same term for mother can be grandmother. So it's hard to tell. It's probably his grandmother. But here we come now to chapter 15 and verse 16. Even Ma'aka, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. So the situation is he's trying to clear idolatry out of the land, and here is his mother or grandmother who herself now is a worshiper, a devotee of Asherah, the fertility goddess, and all of the perversion that went along with that. And in her position as, and there's that term again we mentioned earlier, queen mother, she is most likely leading up the worship of this detestable idol in the land of Judah. And King Asa says, this has to change. Mom, Grandma, we're not going there anymore. And apparently Ma'aka said, Eh, son, you do what you want, I'm going to do what I want. And he says, Mom, I'm king. You are no longer queen mother. He removes her from her position and he tears down the idol. All of us know in reality with family with moms, with anyone in our family, this is a hard thing, isn't it? When obeying God takes us one direction, but the family is saying we need to go this direction or your mom or whoever, and we have a choice we have to make, we don't ever want to be in that choice. But if we are, Scripture says we honor God over even our mother, if that's what it takes. May I say I've been in ministry now for over 40 years. I've been alive a lot longer than that. I have only rarely come across people who find themselves in such a position. Usually moms ask us to do good things, right things, honorable things, not what is wrong, not what is evil. But I have known a few people who have been in that position Sadly to say, the more perverse our world gets, the more children will find themselves in that position. And they as well need to hear this truth. We honor our fathers. We honor our mothers. We obey our fathers. We obey our mothers. Unless and until there's a conflict between obeying them and obeying God. Then we always obey God. That's what the scripture says. Romans chapter 13 is all about honoring authorities. But there are times when we must take a different path. 
And then we do as the apostles, Peter and the apostles said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when addressing the authorities, and they said, we must obey God rather than men. When the authorities said, stop talking about Jesus, and they said, well, we can't do that. God says we must. We must talk about Jesus. Well, there we have it. Three truths from, of all places, chronicles about mothers. We honor our mothers. Mother's influence is huge. We honor God above our mothers. Just a couple of practical things as we look to maybe put a little shoe leather on this. We're to honor our moms. So if you're here today, you have a mom, take some time and opportunity today to let your mom know how much you appreciate her, how much you love her. If you are a mom, be encouraged. What you do matters. Even if nobody today says we appreciate you, nobody today says we love you, nobody today says thank you, what you do matters. And God says this is good. This is worthy and worthwhile. Hold the course. All of us encourage and pray for moms that you know. Men, encourage your wives. Dads, encourage your wives. Encourage all those around us who are mothers, especially our own moms, our wives, our daughters, sisters, those who are close to us. Because after all, and I don't have to tell you moms this, I think being a mom is probably the hardest job there is. So thank you. May you be encouraged today. What you do matters. One last thing for all of us, because this is all about family. And this is all about living in a broken world. All of us who name the name of Christ, let us aim and let us strive to live as godly husbands, as godly dads, as godly wives, as godly mothers, as godly young men and godly young women and as godly children. That means that we're going to be people of grace, that we are going to be people of love that we are going to be people who are encouraging, that we are going to be people who look to build up rather than tear down, that we are going to be people who are productive, people who are servants, that we are going to be people who are humble, people who are kind, are gracious. You see, we live in a world where those qualities are in short supply. It will stand out. And if we live like that, it changes our homes and it changes our families and it changes our marriages. So the world looks and goes, what? And ultimately, we're able to point people to Jesus Christ, the one who has called us and brought us into his family and has given us a new heart, given us a new life, 
given us a new destiny. And may he be praised in our lives, in our homes, until he returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. And how that changes everything. When we are in relationship with you, it changes relationships with one another. And how it is to change our, especially our relationships at home. And this day, how we appreciate our mothers, especially godly moms, which I'm sure is the heart of the ladies of the, in, in these, in this room, to be godly women and godly mothers. Encourage their hearts. Bless them this day. May you help each one of us to be appreciative and encouragers and every one of us to reflect the love and grace of Christ so that we are a godly witness not only with our words but with our lives to a world around us that is in darkness. Father, may we be bright lights in our own dark times. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.